0: Uh, may I reserve uh, three minutes for
1: rebuttal? You uh, can't do it
0: for you. Oh, she no, just, just watch your time. I would try like to reserve you. three minutes for rebuttal. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Good uh, morning, Your Honors. May it please the court, Kenneth Yun for appellant Youngsult Kim. Um, for the benefit of the people here, I'm going to go over a little bit of the facts. Uh, the first thing I want to say, though, that thank you for the opportunity to present this appeal. Um, from the district court's denial of class certification, based upon the what we believe is error with respect to excluding the expert testimony of Dr. Forrester. Dr. Forrester relied on the expert opinion of Dr. Moronick. Dr. Forrester is an economist, um, math guy. <laughs> Dr. Moronick is a surveyor or um, questionnaire person so who gave th- uh, who, who served so for the survey. I want to
1: get. I want to make sure I have the facts straight here. The judge found that Dr. Moronick's report, if you will, was admissible, Yes. He found his methods reliable, everything else. So your, your argument, I take it in a nutshell, is that the court then couldn't reject Forrester for relying on Moronick's report because, well, among other things, the federal rules say that an expert's entitled to rely on matters and evidence.
0: Yes this court has an opportunity
1: to... Well, I'm I'm not worried about our opportunities. (laughs) I'm worried worried about what the law is. Uh, So your position is that once the judge said Marinick's report is admissible in evidence, then an expert is always entitled to rely on other evidence in the case to, to
0: arrive at his opinion. Basically, that's not the... The first part of our argument is the, the best yes. part of your argument. It's the, it's the best part, yes. That's In this case, we, we would like to- Please, please the, accept the help. Yes, yes, Your Honor, <laughs> yes. Um, yes, the answer okay. shortly so, is yes. So
1: now here's my problem with- the, Forrester says two things. He says, I have an opinion about benef- how a model for benefit of the bargain uh, damages. Uh, The judge only rejects that because he says, well, it relies on raw data from Marinick. So I understand what your objection is to that. On this other model, his restitution model, which I must admit that I barely understand, the judge has a separate problem with the restitution model. So He doesn't say I'm rejecting it simply because it relies on statistics. He has a much more fulsome explanation of why he's rejecting the restitution model. Would you, Tell me why the judge, now it doesn't mean he shouldn't have, he should have denied class certification because if the if the other model works then he shouldn't have denied class certification for that reason. But why was the judge incorrect in rejecting the restitution model?
0: So the restitution model is based on a few facts. Obviously the first fact is how much money did the defendant obtain from the sale of the products? He had that numbers report. He had. He also had in his report, where did that come from, the cost basis. He took an analysis of the evidence in the record about how these sushi rolls are made. And he, from that, factored out how much crab is in the sushi roll and then a a value for the crab. Yeah, but he made this.
1: See, this is my problem. I I understand it on the benefit of the bargain side. He then goes through this elaborate analysis that says, well, I can look at uh, places that sell real crab. And, I, and I, Now, I'm figuring out what somebody would pay for one of these had they known the truth. And he applies all these percentages and waves his hands in the air and says, here's the number, and it's less than what they were charging, and therefore the difference is the amount of restitution. More than that. Let me explain no, that. But look, here, let me get the end of my question. Does the restitution model arrive at a different number than the benefit of the bargain model?
0: The restitution model is a different way of calculating it, so it would I be different That's not I asked. I it, asked it, it would does, arrive at a different number. Does
1: it arrive at precisely the same number? No. Well, how is it different? What has the number different?
0: So under the restitution, under the, the law of restitution, you take the, the value, the, the oh, difference is a different I understand. I understand the law
1: of restitution. I'm trying to figure out your expert's testimony. When I read the expert's testimony which has other problems. I'm not sure whether it'll apply 25% or 50% or 75% or 100%. And the judge points out to those problems. I don't want to talk about that for the moment. I want to focus on, it seems to me, the way he calculates restitution is exactly the same way he calculates benefit of the bargain. He's saying, they paid more for this than it was worth.
0: No, that's, you're, the court is, uh, conf, is, is, perhaps looking at the regression analysis and uh, applying it to the restitution. Those are two different analyses. What the,
1: so in order to figure out the, uh, the amount of restitution, let's just take one customer.
0: Yes, one, one customer.
1: One, the average customer. They pay $10. What are, what are the two numbers? The first number is what they charge for, it, right? How much they paid. And that's, that's also the first number in the benefit of the bargain model.
0: Yes, that's true. Okay. Now, what's the second number? The, uh, the value, minus the value.
1: Minus the value. Yeah. And, and when we figure out benefit of the bargain, what's the comparator number?
0: In the benefit for the bargain, we look at how much of that they were thought they were buying and how much they were getting.
1: How, did, how does he calculate the value under your restitution model?
0: He looks at how much, well, he just looks basically, he provides a summary of the company's data of how much they sold. That's the primary number he gives.
1: But how does that provide any basis for calculating? I'm not sure it matters, by the way, because I'm sure you'd be perfectly happy to go back and argue one model rather than two. But I'm not, the judge says, this is all gobbledygook. How do I know restitution is the difference between what something was worth and what something you paid for? And I'm not sure how the comparative num- comparator number establishes worth. Obviously, everything that anybody sells is costs the person who sells it less than the person who buys it? Because otherwise they wouldn't sell it. So tell me, tell me, how, what basis your expert had for for establishing the worth of of the various items, except consumer expectations about what they would include, which was his basis for his first opinion.
0: So for the, 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 again, the regression analysis, and I don't think it's. It's a, it's a, I think it's quite remarkable what he did. He just simply took other restaurants in the vicinity of Benihana restaurants and looked at those and narrowed it to those restaurants that had on the menu item two different items, two different options for the same item, one with real crab, one with fake crab, fully disclosed. And he took the delta between those, which is, I think, he, in his report, I could be at 3 or $4, and then he normalized that with respect to... Right,
1: but, with res- but what, what other people were charging doesn't establish the value of the... See, I understand the bargain. I would have I got bought someplace else for, for less money. But how does it establish for restitution purposes that they were unjustly enriched by charging
0: more? It gives half of the equation... Well, first, it doesn't really apply to the restitution. It's the benefit of the bargain. That's right. But I'm
1: okay. I'm, I'm assuming from a... You've got to go back and convince the district judge... If, if we reverse that your benefit of the bargain model works on other grounds. The only ground the judge rejected it on was that it was based on uh, yes. based on the data from Marinick's report. You don't have to defend it on those grounds here because those aren't in front of us. But I'm just trying to figure out what how the restitution model works because on that one, the judge said, essentially, this is all gobbledygook.
0: Well, I think that the key to the restitution model is exactly as Your Honor said, is that the average consumer looking at something like a food product at a restaurant, that, that amount of decision making by a jury isn't terribly um, outside the realm of a jury.
1: So, so really what you're telling me is that the comparator there, because the, the, the top number is the same, what did you charge for it? The comparator there is based on what people would have paid for a, an item, a similar item knowing the truth at another restaurant. Well, that's yes. There were deltas. And the, the, there math were is, the math is a little
0: bit different, but the ultimate conclusion is something very similar to that. Yes. Okay,
1: and that's different than the benefit of the bargain model in what way?
0: Well, the benefit of the bargain is going forward. It's like uh, how much, what should you have gotten?
1: What, what would they have paid in the future? At a, no, not at the future,
0: but like if I'm buying something and I was expecting something else, then there's that increased amount that I was, I was. Um, I didn't get the benefit of the bargain. You overpaid. I overpaid. Okay. The other one is, give me back the money that for, for what I, under restitution, you, you can't get it for free. No, I
1: understand it. I understand the conceptual difference between yeah. the two. I'm fine with the conceptual difference. My difficulty is that I think at the, the bottom line is they're both calculated the same way by your expert. That but he basically says, I know what you charged. And the difference, the benefit of the bargain is what you would have paid for the real thing. And the restitution is what you would have paid for the real thing. So I think they're not any different. But let me let me ask you to address the, the crab, the California roll class.
0: Uh, I think, well, one's legal, one's equitable. Yeah, of course, they, they sometimes might get to the same place. In terms of California roll, uh, they're common. If they get to the
1: same place, then I'm not sure what the damage is from keeping one out rather than the other. But let me, California roll. Your client's basic claim, as I understand it, was that when I read these menus, notwithstanding the footnotes, and they said crab, I thought it meant crab. The claim with respect to the California roll is that any good Californian or sushi eater would know that California rolls are supposed to have crab, and therefore, notwithstanding the footnote, this was a material omission. My difficulty is that his claims, the claims he actually has, are not typical of the California role class, which is based on an assumption and an omission. He may share that assumption, but his claims aren't based on a material omission. His claims are based on what he says is a material misrepresentation. So isn't the judge correct in saying he's not an appropriate representative I don't of think the, the California role class?
0: I don't think the court got to that point. I think the court address the commonality said they're not common. Okay.
1: Well, whether it's commonality or typicality or standing or whatever, address that problem. Forget what box I put it in for a moment.
0: So I think the way we look at it is just a very common sense approach. If you look at the items on the menu, they're all variations of the California roll.
1: Well, but they're all items that have the word, except for California roll, say crab. And I understand that he didn't buy each of those ten items but his claim as to the ones he didn't buy is typical of the class, which is to say, his claim on the ones he bought was I was misled. But th- th- he never bought the California, the, the California roll. So his claim as to his his the claims that he does have are not typical of the class on the California roll, are they? It's substantially similar, Your Honor. That's our argument. But they're not substantially similar. There's have no the dagger. Nobody's claiming an omission on the other ones. They're claiming a, an express misrepresentation. The dagger
0: is the same across all the items. The item
2: there that, is there's not a dagger as to the, the, the California roll is there. I believe there's a
0: dagger. There honest. is a dagger. There's a dagger. But but that's
1: not the issue. The issue is there's no misrepresentation on the California roll. If you so re- you're saying there's an omission. What you should have said was California roll with crab footnote not real crab. <laughs> so well, instead they just said I don't California know what they roll done. And, and you're saying well. Every, everybody knows California rolls have crabs, so this is, this is a, a material omission. And my problem is your client's not basing his other claims on a material omission. He's basing them on what he says is an, ex- is an express misrepresentation. Now, you can probably find another plaintiff who has this claim, but I think the judge is probably right in this case, saying his claims are not typical of this subclass.
0: Our argument is that the... Decision was based on commonality. That basis well, should so be overturned. So let's assume that
1: he, 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 he said commonality, but it meets all the requirements of typicality.
0: And it meets all the but, huh? I mean, and it meets all the. T- requirements yeah, no, of he
1: said commonality, but the truth is you fail on typicality. Do we really send it back to him and say, Judge, you should have said typicality, not commonality?
0: Our request is that you send it back. Well, in he, he actually said
2: both, didn't he? Didn't he say he typicality, typicality first and then changed it to commonality?
0: He did. In that sense, he did sort of cover both, but then he corrected it because I think he meant to say what I think what he meant to say, or what the district court meant to say, what they said at the end. But he did, or the district court did address typicality. Yeah, but the facts he
1: relied on, whether he, however he labeled them, would suggest there's no typicality here,
0: doesn't it? Well. No, because, again, our point is that there's that dagger. The dagger's the same. The misleading is not exactly the same, but they're close enough to allow for him to represent that group See, of but your
1: claim would be exactly the same if there was no dagger.
0: It wouldn't be. Yeah, because I mean, you, you're saying Well, the dagger you're saying, goes- everybody
1: knows California rolls have crab, so <laughs> I, I don't even have to look at the dagger. That's your claim on everything else. You said crab, so why would I look at the dagger? Well, the dagger here, is— Here your claim is— your claim is, well, everybody knows California rolls have crabs, so why would I look at the dagger? That's a different claim.
0: Uh, the, the, the facts of the claim are different, but the claim is still it's, mis- it's misleading. It, it violates I, the law. I have one other
1: question, and I think you can answer this quickly. This substantial similarity doctrine, which some district courts have adopted, is there any Ninth Circuit or Supreme Court case that adopts a substantial similarity doctrine?
0: I don't have that with me, Your Honor. Thank you. Um, Okay. Uh, Well, I you got like twenty.
2: We'll give you a minute for rebuttal. So thank you. Yeah.
3: Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court, Emily Musgrave, on behalf of Defendant Benny Hanna Inc. The plaintiff offered evidence of two theories of damages in this case, the so-called benefit of the bargain model and the restitution model. Both came exclusively from the plaintiff's expert witness, Dr. Forrester. As this Court has repeatedly instructed, the District Court rigorously analyzed the persuasiveness of that evidence. Oh,
1: no, it did not. The district, court, <laughs> the district court didn't go through that evidence and do a Daubert analysis or find it unreliable. What the district court said was, I'm rejecting your benefit of the bargain analysis. Put aside the restitution one for a second. For one reason and one reason only. You relied on the survey data, the, the compiled data in Dr. Maranick's report, not the raw data. And I won't accept your opinion unless... in." in unless you looked at the raw data. And so that's the only basis on which the district court rejected the benefit of the bargain, right?
3: I agree with your honor that that's the basis that's articulated. Okay, so so we could
2: make up some others. What else did you want to say then? I mean, you say that's what he articulated, but you're saying there's some implicit ruling in another respect? or
3: I'm not saying there's an implicit ruling. I'm saying that because of that reason, the court felt it needed to go no further oh, on right. that benefit, but of the but if bargain we don't analysis. agree with it, then
2: we got to send it back down. And then, uh, I mean, yeah. that's part of the problem. Is this is the only issue teed up to us? There may well be yeah. lots of other problems. Yeah. Yeah. You may, this this may
1: be a terrible those. benefit of the bargain analysis. You may have lots of other good arguments, and you may have made them below. But as it comes up to us, the district court's not addressed those arguments. It's only addressed the raw data
2: argument. Correct?
3: That's right, Your Honor. I would always refer this court to the axiom that the court can of, of course affirm on any basis otherwise apparent in the record can we
2: do that in a case like this i mean i know we can on summary judgment but can we do that here where we could i mean it seems to me we'd be stepping in to an issue that we would normally give some deference to a district court on uh i don't know that we can just take that out of their hands can we
3: Well, I hear Your Honor's point, and it is an abusive discretion standard. I think what I would say in this context is that the district court did not abuse its discretion because what we're talking about here, and I think this court has been quite clear about it, is not just admissibility at this stage. We're talking about overall persuasiveness of the evidence. Well, but
1: see, let's assume for a moment that we're reluctant to address that in the first instance and just focus on the basis offered by the district judge here. I don't understand how an expert can't rely on some another report that the district judge has already found was admissible. See, if, if the other report hadn't been found admissible here, I'd understand the, I'd, I'd understand the argument. But the district court says, "Oh, Marinex report is admissible. His methods are reliable. Uh, his opinions can come in." And the second expert says, "Okay, I'm looking at that report and it says this. So relying on that fact, I have an opinion." That's just Expert Evidence 101, isn't it?
3: No, Your Honor, it's not, and here's why. The survey comes in, and I think this court has been pretty clear that in general surveys come in. If there are problems with the survey, it goes to weight, not the admissibility. And it's a survey. The problem is what Dr. Forrester was doing was not a survey. He was here as an economic expert, and as an economic right. Ex- and
2: there may there may have been some problems with his underlying economic theory, but that's not what the district court looked at, is this?
1: Said you can't rely on the survey to to arrive at your opinions, and and you can rely on things in evidence to rely on your opinions. It may turn out that your opinions are terrible, <laughs> that they lack sufficient foundation, elsewhere. But but it is it's not an error to rely on evidence in the case to arrive at an opinion, is it?
3: In this context, it is, because the evidence that he was relying on was a summary calculation of a raw data set. And as an economic expert, he would have needed to assess, for example, the variability in that data set, numbers that might be outliers. Um, He would have had to assess uh, individual numerical discrepancies to even determine whether using an average in the first place is appropriate. And because he didn't do any of that in this context, it's not even apparent whether the methodology is sound because what he did is even worse, blindly using averages without examining what underlies them, which is simply not a sufficiently reliable methodology. So for I him.
2: actually I think I agree with you, uh, except that I don't think that that's what the district court said. Help me understand that, because the district court didn't go after his methodology. The, uh, if the district court had gone after the methodology, I think everything you said would be correct. So help me out with that, because I read the district court to say you just can't rely on these other summaries.
3: So I would refer the court to FER 17, which is what I understood the district court to be saying when the district court took issue, not I, only...
1: Here, I'm reading what the court said. And by the way, the court said some contradictory things along the way. So at 16, the court says, any issue with respect to Forrester's Alliance on the Maranek report is one of weight, not admissibility. I happen to agree with that. And Then he says, but I'm going to exclude it because he didn't even request access to the raw or underlying data to assess independently whether his conclusions were accurate. Well, if once you've found that the Maranek report is admissible, it seems to me the second expert is entitled to say, I assume its conclusions are accurate. I rely on them. And therefore, and now I apply, I apply my expertise and to arrive at a separate conclusion. The second step is not the court; the one that the court addressed. He just said you couldn't rely on the survey data in Marinik's report, and because it was admissible, it seems to me it's clear you can rely on it. it may not get you anywhere—that's <laughs> a separate issue—but you can rely on it, can't
3: you? Well, and I would, I would urge the court to understand reliability in this context because we're not talking about a situation where he's relying, for example, on an architect or another field in which no, he he's has relying expertise.
1: on something in evidence. See, I'm not. He's, this is something that the court has said. All right, this can be admitted into evidence.
3: Well, the and, court has said the survey can come in, and I agree. It's a survey, right? The survey can but come it's in. It's admissible.
1: I, it's admissible. It's admissible. So that somebody looks at a piece of evidence and says, "All right, I'm, my starting block is that piece of evidence, and now I'm going to offer you my opinions based on that piece of evidence." And you're saying, "Oh no, he can't rely on that piece of evidence," and that's that's my problem. And I I think like Judge Nelson. There may be lots of other reasons why the district court could have rejected Dr. Forrester's benefit of the bargain analysis, but that's not the one he offered. The one he offered was you're relying on the survey data rather than the raw data, which was not in the report. But <laughs> so see, You should have gone behind the report and questioned its conclusions before you, before you relied on its conclusions. But the courts already found that the conclusions were reliable.
3: But I think the problem here is that those conclusions do not offer the data that an economic expert would need in this yeah, context. I, I, I
1: tend to agree with you, but that's not what the judge said.
2: Am, am I reading the right part? So this is the one where he says, Kim, this is at ER17, Kim cites no authority to rebut the proposition that experts are required to verify the validity and reliability of the data I, I mean, the problem is he's already found it reliable. That's what's confusing. The, so, I, I mean, how, what's the difference between validity and reliability of the data?
3: Well, Your Honor, I would I – would, um, what I would point out is that he's found it reliable in the context of it being a survey but this goes back to the point that I think your honor was agreeing with a moment ago which is that that doesn't make it reliable as a damages model for an economic expert and that's the problem that I think the court was trying to identify well, but he didn't I,
1: really say that did he he said I think
3: that's the closest he said there's support. no authority I, yeah that, I,
2: I mean and that goes back to how how much discretion do we have i mean i guess i guess the best case for you is that we interpret that sentence and say okay that's good enough and we agree with this kind of extrapolation of what the district court might have meant to say. So your point would be, look, sending it back down is sort of a futile errand because all the district court's gonna do is turn that one sentence into a paragraph and say, you know, this doesn't work. Correct, John. Okay, Okay.
1: Uh, that's, that's probably an accurate prediction, but how can we find that as a matter of law?
3: Well, I think-, I think We can
1: say the judge said this, but we're pretty sure he meant that. And if he meant that, it would have been okay. I think and that, that, that strikes me as a bridge too far.
3: Well, I understand the court's hesitation, but coming back again to the standard of review, we're talking about an abuse of discretion on what is an evidentiary matter. The trial court has broad discretion in this context.
1: And well, I but what the trial, trial court can't say is that an expert cannot rely on an, on something that's been admitted in evidence as a basis for his opinion.
3: But say, he might
1: say it's an insufficient basis, but he can't say uh, it is It is error to rely on evidence in the case in order to reach your opinion. You would agree with that, wouldn't you?
3: I actually wouldn't, Your Honor, and here's why. It's again back to this word rely. Rely on it for what purpose? And again, I'm saying it is well, he, a but he, look
1: at Look at the commentary to the evidence rules. I it says what an expert, one of the things an expert can rely on in, in arriving at an opinion is evidence in the case.
3: Or an admissible evidence. For well,
1: admissible case. evidence. This is admissible evidence. Yes, So we often see an expert who says, I wasn't at the scene of the accident. But somebody's brought in a picture, and the picture shows that the skid marks are 14 feet. And if they are 14 feet, I have no idea whether they are or not. My opinion is that the car must have braked in this way or that way. So people always rely, experts almost always rely on stuff that they don't know whether it's true or not. They rely on evidence in the case.
3: Yes, Your Honor, but they can't do so in a way that either abdicates their own responsibility in furtherance of their opinion, and they can't rely on evidence that masks the data they actually need. And that's the problem. It's not that they rely— I
2: think they can. That's the problem. I mean— I don't think they have to go in Judge Hurwitz's example. They don't have to go out and separately measure the, you know, measure the uh, the skid mark. They, I, I mean, they they can rely on what somebody else said, and um, I, I just I, I wish the district court had done more here because it does it does feel like. Because this case is gone now, right? And then if we remand this, then you're going to go back and debate this issue and potentially other issues. I understand your frustration with it, um, but I don't I, – where's the case that says the expert has to go in and look at the underlying raw data of another expert that's already been admitted? I think that's what we're struggling with.
3: I understand, Your Honor, and I think this, this case – Is
2: there a case like that?
3: That says that an expert has to actually look at the stuff that the expert is supposed to testify to?
2: Well, that principle is there, but it, but but do, do they have to go get the raw data of when they're relying on another expert's um, su- summary, as, as, as happens here?
3: Yes, Your Honor, I think that they do, and I think it's implicit in the line of cases. Well, but
1: those cases don't deal with an expert relying on something that was admitted in evidence. I, I mean, take your point like there's the ConAgra case— so an expert says I'm relying on something that's outside the record, and we say, wait a minute, you, you know, you've got to establish that, you got to establish those facts because they're not facts. But in this case, the judge admitted the report, so he was relying on something that the judge admitted. So if I could modify, the, I'm not sure. There are cases that say you just can't rely on the opinion of another expert, but is there any case that says you can't rely on the opinion? of another expert that's been admitted into evidence?
3: Yes, Your Honor. Which case? In this context, I would refer the court to Ellis versus Costco and the Solly opinion, both of which say that in this context, admissibility is the starting point of the inquiry and not the end.
1: Right, but my my difficulty here is that the the judge never got past that starting point. He said you can't rely on it. (laughs) And the answer is you can. It may not make your opinion admissible later on because there's other problems. That's only the starting point. But at least you can rely on it, can't you?
3: No, Your Honor. I don't think in this context you can. Again, and I'm not trying to parse words, no, I what does reliability mean, yeah. which is he's relying on data that doesn't serve the function that he needed for his model. We're talking about, just to be clear, and I see my time is up, if I may finish my sentence.
2: No, your your time's not up.
3: Oh, it's not up. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, Uh, in this context, and just to make this a little bit more concrete, we're talking about the fact that there were only two inputs for his benefit of the bargain model, right? And one of those inputs is a summary of averages that the survey expert instead calculated. It's a summary of those averages. And the point that I'm trying to make about reliability in this context is that the data set that was under those averages, is what this person should have been looking
1: well, at. Well, but the, but the court did find the summary to be reliable and admissible
3: as a survey, Your Honor. Not no, as no, an opinion of damages. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah you, your point is that there's an extra step, which I mean, that's an, it's an interesting interpretation of it because you're, you're saying there's an extra step that had to go in here. It's not just the admissibility, but you still got to show that it's you know there's validity and reliability for purposes of bringing it, basically transferring it from a summary of evidence into an expert report. That's your argument.
3: That's right, Your Honor. And I would say that although the survey is whatever the survey is, it's not itself uh, a viable damages report. That's what Dr. Forrester was supposed to be doing. So even if the survey is admissible, and I think this goes back to Your Honor's questioning earlier, that doesn't provide a damages model in the case.
1: If the court was correct on that approach, um, can plaintiff go forward on the restitution damages?
3: No, Your Honor, I think the restitution model is itself also fatally flawed, though though for different reasons. Um, and I'm happy to discuss that briefly, although now my time is definitely up, if I may. Um, so I think the restitution model has a, a critical failure too, actually. The first is that restitution in this context is, is different than if we had, for example, a $5 widget. We're not talking about something absolute in that way. Uh, in this context, restitution depends on the attribute of the product that is at issue here, whether it was crab. But a sushi roll has all kinds of attributes in it. It has avocado, it has rice. Uh, going to Benihana is an experience. When you eat sushi, you are no longer hungry. All of these things are attributes, and this is the sort of part worth concept that the court in INRAE and Joy was trying to get to. You need to isolate out the attribute that would be eligible for restitution. Usually that's done with a conjoint analysis. None of that happened here. So to simply abdicate all of that and say, well, the jury can just figure it out and then apply four percentages that counsel selected, that's not a damages model either.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank we'll uh, give rebuttal time. I
0: think, yeah. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, thank you for the additional time. With respect to the summary of raw data, the actual numbers from ER 710, um, and, and the, there's, the, the conclusion is there. The defense, the, defend, the says that there's additional work that Dr. should have so done.
2: So the district court didn't actually say you have to go and you know, look at the raw data. Well, maybe he did. I mean, I guess you ha- ha- I guess the question is, how do you verify the validity and reliability of the data if you don't look at the raw data?
0: Well, he's not a surveyor, Your Honor. The, 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 ben Howe just made the argument that you have to assess the data. You have to uh, look at the, the, the discrepancies in the data. That's what a surveyor does. That's what Dr. Moronig did.
1: You see, here, here's my difficulty. It seems to me if you're trying to def- defend the broader proposition, you may have some difficulty. If we're trying just in front of us to say, look, he's entitled to rely on the survey. Whether or not that gives rise to a reliable opinion on his part is a separate issue. But all the district judge said was you can't rely on the survey. If you, if you want to try to convince me that his reliance on it was justified or led to a good opinion... Like, I'm well, not sure you the, want to do that, because I don't think you want us to get into that issue.
0: I think the simple thing is what we said in our papers is that the court created sort of a negative blanket rule that an expert relying on another expert has to double-check the expert. The and proposition, that's just a bad rule. The court rule. says,
1: here's the proposition I'm relying on, that experts are required to verify the validity and reliability of the data on which we, they rely. And I guess the, the answer, your answer to that is not when that data has already been found to be to be. Valid and reliable by the district
0: court and Certainly. admitted it's evidence. Certainly, and the, the the question the court had about having you the agree go There's back a again. difference
2: between finding it reliable for purposes of being a survey and or a summary, and reliable for purposes of an expert opinion.
0: Once it's admitted, it's admitted, and it's admissible and it's yeah, relied upon the Yeah, I understand that, that but now I'm starting to, to wonder
2: whether all admissible evidence can just be relied on by the expert. I mean. I guess your your point is we'll go ahead and go challenge that later, but that doesn't that doesn't that can't be considered the gatekeeping.
1: You can rely on it, but it may not be sufficient to give rise to your expert opinion. That's not what's in front of us now.
0: What's in front of us is what the court knows. What's in front of it. And I think based upon this, it's pretty simple. In, in terms of the, the, where this came from, came from the, Benny Hanna's argument to the district court relying on in-ray conagra foods which they say doesn't really apply in their uh, in their, responding, in their answering brief, which is...
1: Con-Agra foods is a case where the expert was not relying on anything in the record.
0: It was a surveyor who was relying on some other survey that he didn't do. And he just sort of parroted it and sort of basically, I think the word maybe was laundered it, and didn't allow the defendant to cross-examine the underlying data underlying, it's a totally different case. But that term out of context is where our court, our district court, made this decision. So one out of context quote from a district court opinion comes into another district court to create another compounding problem, which now is before the Ninth Circuit, to fix, So let so
1: me just ask one final question here, at least my final question. Others may have others. Um, All you're asking that we do in this case with respect to the benefit of the bargain analysis is to say to the district court you couldn't have rejected it simply for that reason and the court can then decide whether or not he wants to reject it for another reason.
0: Well, you could do more, but yes, you could do that. Yeah, we could do more. (laughs) We could do more, but
1: be be careful what you ask for because I think you see some hesitation from us about whether the model really works under well, analysis. I think the
0: court didn't really have the benefit of, you know, looking this as much time perhaps as the district court does at the facts of the model. The district court like, didn't need them. <laughs> well, they had the opportunity, and um, it's more their purview, but in, this, in the sense what I also say is under, under restitution, the difference here on restitution is this, it's a simpler remedy, and if the court said it's simple, then we should simply be able to present it.
1: So now I'm making myself a liar. The, the expert said... And then I'd either apply a twenty-five, fifty, or seventy-five percent, or one hundred percent. Well, you, he's Analysis just saying a sliding a, scale
0: can be applied. How is
1: that a model? That's a <laughs> without any indication. I, of, I, I can file that
2: expert report. <laughs>
1: well,
0: in in, this, in in that sense, then then the jury should be able to that, that we have provided enough information, including through the work he's done, to show that I can present the same evidence to the jury. Here's how much is how, and here's then, how you construct you,
1: the role. Then you don't need the mo- if if all that you're saying is. Here's here's the evidence jury you decide whether it apply 502570 or some number in between then, then it's not you don't need an expert to present that model
0: which is why we're saying that the rejection for certification based upon that theory of remedy is is poorly based because it's based upon the expert when if the conclusion is that the expert's unnecessary that this information can be presented simply to a jury Then that would be a grounds to support certification, not a grounds to reject based upon the expert report being rejected. Also, I'd like to add just. No, we're done. Thank you, Your Honor.
2: Thank you. Thank you. The court, uh, the case is now submitted, and uh, the court is done for the week.
3: Thank you. All right.